Ashen sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If you look at more of the national environment, I mean, we got a taste of it in Ohio, but we saw some of it too in, in Washington where they have a top two primary system. There's very little you can look at the results last night and say Republicans had a very good night. They, they squeaked out a, a, something of a, of a victory in Ohio. You could call it a victory, but it's a very pure one. Yeah, and I think what Dak is doing is why I like Dak. I like him because he's smart and he's a leader. This is what leaders do. They don't let Twitter influence their opinion. Followers go on social media and join the avalanche. Leaders go on social media, have a conviction, and are not influenced by you not liking their opinion. Let the president know in no uncertain terms that we are alive, awake, and we are woke. We are not going away. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey, welcome to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So glad to be with you today. We have another jam-packed program for you. Uh, If you're wondering why I'm sitting here as a woman doing radio instead of in the kitchen cooking, it's because I already cooked. Check my Instagram feed for some of the meals that I make for our family so I can do more than one thing, and I'm happy to do it, happy to be here with you today on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's still Truth For Youth Week. If you see me holding up a book, it's not because we're only talking about books today, but it's because it's Truth For Youth Week, and we want to get one of these free Bibles into your teenager's hand or the hand of a teenager who is in your circle that you would love to have them have the manga comic at the beginning and the New Testament at the back and be able to share that out with friends and family and uh, any, any teenager. We're trying to get these into the public schools because you have every right to do that. Uh, So the number to call is 800-733-4737, or you can go to truthforyouth.com. That number again is 800-733-4737, or head over to truthforyouth.com. If you'd like a copy, uh, more than one copy, you get one copy for free. If you'd like two or three or four copies, well, guess what you can do? You can ask for those, and they're just $2 each. So we're glad to be partnering with them and Engage Magazine, which is a ministry of American Family Radio. Today on the program, we have our primary election rundown. I'm going to talk about the winners and the losers, what seemed to work, what didn't, and what people are saying on the street about the prospects for November for the Democrats and the Republicans. And then we're going to listen to some audio from uh, one of these really interesting people uh, who thinks that socialism is the actual trajectory that the Democrats should be on. Not so. That is not the case, but we will talk about that. We have Allison Choi on the program today. She's the author of Bleeding Heart Conservatives, Why It's Good to Be Right. We're going to be speaking with her about her book. And then we're going to take your calls in what I'm calling the final five. So five calls in the final segment we'll take from listeners uh, to hear what we're going to, what, what are your thoughts? What, what, what are you, what's your feedback on uh, the program We'll take we'll take calls about that. What's your feedback on uh, the the election results last night from the primary? What's your what's your feedback on uh, what November looks like right now for the Democrats and Republicans? We have a very smart listening audience, and I think we'll get some great calls on that. You can follow me at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. StacyOnTheRight.com is a website where you can subscribe and get the newsletter once a week. And then in hour two, we're going to be talking about Rosie O'Donnell. She says the Trump rallies are fake; that the people who attend them are paid. Kind of an interesting assertion from her, considering she's a Democrat. And we're also going to be talking about Adam Schiff. He refuses to admit that thus far we've seen no evidence of any wrongdoing by the president. And there's an important thing that we have to discuss about that. Also, the president of the United States is in Bedminster, New Jersey, at his estate there. 
He's been there for a few days. Melania's there with him. And they are actually resting and relaxing. And he's working from there. And they had a fantastic fundraiser with a bunch of business leaders. And I have the list of attendees right here in my hot little hand. So before we get into this uh, trajectory for the Democrats, I want to kind of run down a list of things that Donald Trump's not getting credit for. And make no mistake about it. If the president needs criticism, if there's something he's doing that I don't agree with, I'm going to hit him on that because that's accountability. And really, a friend who can never tell you anything bad or anything wrong is not a true friend. That's not true friendship. Iron sharpens iron. So he needs to be held accountable by us, the voters, the people who put him there so that we can get even more from him, more productivity, more answering of promises, more of what we ask him to go there and do. So here's just a, this is this a partial list of what the president has been simply killing it on since he became the president of the United States. Getting the EU to agree to begin balancing the trade deficit by basically moving towards free, free trade, true free trade, which means they don't get more out of the deal than we do. China agreeing to begin balancing the trade deficit. The fair trade, fair trade agreement is what's up next. That's what comes. The CBO claiming that tax cuts are paying for themselves. Are you kidding me? We were told that this planet would cease to turn on its axis if the Republicans cut taxes, especially for businesses. And instead, the tax cuts are paying for themselves. CBO also announcing that they now expect the GDP to be 6.1 trillion with a T bigger by 2027 than they expected it to be before the tax reform was passed. Trump won the 60-year-old struggle for NATO to pay their fair share. Others either didn't try or went in with their little mealy mouth, lily livered attempts and were thwarted. Unemployment is at the lowest level in 50 years. Black unemployment rate has fallen to an all time low. Hispanic unemployment rate fallen to the lowest level ever in the history of the United States tracking that data. Over 550 major companies have already given six million, over six million employee bonuses, pay raises and benefit increases because of the tax reform. We've added over 4 million jobs already just by slashing burdensome and ludicrous government regulations, cutting the red tape. Trump has already brought back $725,000 from overseas. Remember, Obama said it couldn't be done. He asked if Trump had a magic wand. I guess the answer to that is magic wand. Check. Yeah, he has one. And then the fewest jobless claims since 1973. The Dow Jones, NASDAQ, S&P 500 have all set more record highs than at any other time in history. The U.S. stock market and your 401k and mine have gained $5 trillion in wealth since Trump was elected. The U.S. manufacturing index soared to a 33-year high. The best numbers ever in this period were the best since 1983, which was President Ronald Reagan. Trump's unleashing our military might where Obama held it back. Trump has overseen the annihilation of ISIS in nine short months after Obama said his grandchildren's generation will still be fighting ISIS. Thank God he was wrong about that. I'm sure his grandchildren will thank him whenever they materialize. And housing sales are red hot again. And the food stamp use has fallen to the lowest level in 23 years. And that's just a partial list. So let's get to last night. Last night was a very interesting primary evening. The GOP had some interesting wins. Honestly, it was it was one of those nights where I was up so late last night and I'm regretting it today, y'all, totally. I was checking and refreshing our Secretary of State website so I could get the returns as they came in because I was watching turnout, but I was also looking for 
an upset if there was going to be one. And, and I feel like there kind of was um, in the auditor race, which is it's a statewide position. Not many people outside the state of Missouri would care about it. But let's run down the, the stuff that nationally everyone cares about. First off, John James, military combat veteran, pilot, happens to be of the permanent tan, and he won his election after being endorsed by President Trump. John James has won the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in Michigan. So he's going to go up against the Democrat in November, and he actually has a chance of winning. So I'm Chairwoman McDaniels of the RNC. Let's see you pump some money into that race. Get some social media cranking. Get a few interns working on making sure that John James has everything he needs to pull that home in November. Susan Hutchinson, Republican. She's advancing to the November election for the U.S. Senate in Washington. Republican Jamie Herrera Butler advances to the November election in Washington's third congressional district. Kevin Yoder won the Republican nomination for U.S. House in Kansas's third congressional district. And Republican Dino Rossi advances to November in Washington's eighth conditional, uh, congressional uh, race in their congressional district. Breaking, Republican Kathy McMorris Rogers advancing to her November election in Washington's fifth congressional. And Douglas Deitman advancing in Washington's sixth congressional district. You got Joseph Brumbles, who won last night. Bill Shute uh, in Michigan's primary election for governor. Come on now. These are, these are fantastic developments because these were the candidates that we wanted, not the kind of candidates that the Democrats would have preferred to face in November. Josh Hawley, he came on our program. I still have not yet had an answer from Claire McCaskill on coming on the program. I'd love to speak with her. I live in the show me state. I vote here. I pay taxes here. Our kids are getting an education here. We own property here. Claire McCaskill represents me in the Senate. I would prefer that she honor just the fact that I'm a taxpayer and a constituent by coming on this program. Let's see if she answers. We've invited her. The producer has reached out. We will do so again. You've got Roger Marshall winning the Republican nomination for U.S. House in Kansas's first congressional Ron Estes winning the Republican nom in Kansas's fourth. And Vicki Hartzler trounced her primary uh, challenge in Missouri's fourth congressional. Blaine Lukemeyer, that's Missouri's third congressional. He won. And you've got Jacob Turk, longtime friend Jacob Turk out of the Kansas City area, winning his Republican nomination for U.S. House in Missouri's fifth. And Billy Long winning in Missouri's seventh and Wagner pulling it through easily in Missouri's second. So uncontested races were not included in this list, um, you know, cause we all know how that worked. And so what, what, what do we have going on? Well, that's on the Republican side, but what happened last night with the Democrats? Well, they had some interesting, like only a couple of the people that Ocasio-Cortez socialist extraordinaire endorsed, only a couple of them actually pulled it through, but a bunch of people that she endorsed did not pull through. So I'm not so sure if that socialism thing is, has taken fully. But here's a guy. Uh, his name is Marcos Mulitsas. He writes for, I think it's Vox. It might be Daily Cost. Daily Cost. He's a Daily Cost writer. And he says that the Democrats better embrace that socialist label if they want to win in 2020. It's number two. The establishment is terrified of that word. Socialism. But if we learned one thing from the Obama years, it's that Republicans are going to call us socialists no matter what we do. So we might as well give them the real thing. 
Look, this is going to be. I, I, I think this I is going. It. This is going to be, though, a debate, a big debate point on that Democratic primary stage in 2020, isn't it? I don't even think it's going to be a debate point. You either embrace the label and own it and be a player, or you can be like Andrew Cuomo and be off in the sidelines and relevant. That's where this is going. Because when you really look at what that so-called socialist platform is, and Nixon's right, they're going to accuse us of being communist before all is said and done. When you look at it, it's basically healthcare, access to healthcare, access to education. I mean, these are things that people actually like. If you go down item by item, people actually want these things. Uh, Donald Trump may not. He doesn't want his taxes to go up, but everybody else kind of does. So I actually want to have that debate. Let them talk about what it means to be a socialist. We're not the party that's being bought and paid for by Russia. We want to talk about this, you know, the socialists. We are the party that is looking out for Americans and America. Uh, no, that's not even true. It's not even close to true. And what he said about Donald Trump not wanting his taxes to go up, that's true. What he said about everyone else wanting their taxes to go up, false. This isn't about Donald Trump's taxes. And I have some information for you on that. We're actually going to talk about the Democrats' socialist agenda costing $42.5 trillion over the next decade. And this is according to Vox, which is hard on the left. It's not a little leftist. It's hardcore leftism. Everyone who writes for them is a leftist, save for one or two opinion reporters, etc. They are absolutely calling these people on the carpet about their plans. We're talking about not just bankrupting the federal government by spending more than one of our yearly outlays, but spending more than that and then still needing more money. We're talking about them taking, even if they take 95% of the profits of every single company, entity based in the United States, if they take 95% of their profits and spend all of that, they, first of all, they'll have destroyed the means of creating new wealth, but they will then still need more money. We're going to go over this. We'll get back to it. Up next, we have our guest for this hour. It's Allison Choi. She wrote a book that's fantastic. Why do we interview authors? Why do we talk about books? Because it's one of the things that wealthy people do that people who don't have any money don't do. Poor people watch television. Wealthy people read books. That's one of the reasons we interview authors on this show. We'll be back with her and more here on Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Keep it here. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki. From airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference coming up August 17th and 18th. The list of speakers is amazing. We have Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, Stacy Washington, Lonnie Poindexter, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and we'll be there too. There's a direct attack by the enemy on marriage and family, and babies in the womb are treated like political footballs instead of life. We want to encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. If we can get our families on track, a lot of society's problems could be solved. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is from Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at Urban Family Talk. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Ritz with a Legacy Moment. I want you to think of a Christian leader God has used in your spiritual formation. This person's ministry has enriched your life. Your walk with Christ is stronger because of him or her. Can you pinpoint what qualities in that leader really make the difference? Because I guarantee you, it takes more than education or talent to make a great leader. We see some key ingredients of a godly leader in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1-3. through 3. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the molten images. So what really made the difference in Josiah's life? Well, number one, he had the resolve to do what was right in the sight of God. I don't know where it came from, but somewhere along the line, he developed an insatiable appetite to do what was right before God. Number two, he resolved to seek him and his wisdom. There was a moment-by-moment dependency upon God. He continually sought the Lord. Then thirdly, he resolved to courageously act based upon what God had told him to do. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. What I just described is what biblical success and leadership is really all about. Determined to be a godly difference maker. Order your life and decisions based upon what God wants, and you will indeed make a difference. You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and heard on the weekly program Living a Legacy. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. We are still working with some new equipment here. We have a new yet another computer i told the kids one day they're going to come in here and i'm going to be broadcasting the show from like a u-shaped wall of all screens and i'll be touching things and going can you hear that can you hear that (laughs) so with all of that going on thank you for being here today hey to everyone who's watching on a live stream whether it's periscope youtube facebook anything like that and also Thank you so much to the people who listen to us on Terrestrial Radio. Fantastic to be with you today. And I am excited about speaking to our next guest. We have Allison Lee Pillinger Choi, author of Bleeding Heart Conservatives, Why It's Good to Be Right. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining the show today. Thank you for having me on. Great to be here. Yeah. So let's talk about the book. Why did you write a book about Bleeding Heart Conservatives? I wrote this book, Bleeding Heart Conservatives, because I just thought it was time for me to speak up and speak out and contribute to the conservative conversation and just the national conversation of politics and why I chose to be conservative um, and value the policies that are put forth by conservative leaders, because I think that it's truly the the better way, the better path to a greater society and a greater world for everyone, whether you are a conservative Democrat, um, whatever your racial or religious background is. And I titled the book Bleeding Heart Conservatives because, of course, there's 
um, the label bleeding heart liberals, which everyone knows better, but I don't think that liberals have the exclusive rights on what it means to be a bleeding heart and have compassion for your fellow American and fellow people. Okay, that sounds fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about what that means, because uh, in order for the listeners and and even myself, I I read as much as I could about you in the book beforehand, but I I really want people to kind of understand what the terminology means, because you kind of explain it in the book so you can set the stage for, you you go into a wide-ranging list of subjects, and all of them have to do with the core of conservatism and what people really believe. So what is the bleeding heart conservative? Bleeding Heart Conservative understands that there are, as you said, dozens and dozens of issues out there and is not a one-issue voter. Um, it, it's, it's, Bleeding Heart Conservative is an independent thinker um, who believes in ideals like uh, limited government and um, hard work, meritocracy, um, a robust civic society, Founding, founding virtues and, and values um, that made our country uh, the most prosperous and, and, in conservatives' opinion, the, the most exceptional country in this world, this world that has ever seen. That doesn't mean that we're a perfect world. We're always seeking to uh, a perfect country. We are always seeking to be better. But um, a bleeding heart conservative understands that this country is exceptional um, in that it's contributed the most human flourishing possible uh, to the most possible people. And we wanted to see that continue. And we want to um, continue the, the traditions and the practices that have made our, our country what it is while understanding, you know, mistakes from the past, fixing that, but that doesn't discredit um, how our country has and our value system and our policies has overall contributed to the most human flourishing um, and most opportunity for um, uh, for all Americans. Sure. So when you say there's not a one-issue voter, what do you mean by that? Well, so I'm a millennial, and I found that of my peer group that the lightning rod hot button topics um, include things like um, – same-sex marriage, um, pro-life, pro-choice debate, um, gun control, which these are often in the um, on the liberal narrative and mainstream media are um, focused, hyper-focused, and to in such a way that it makes at least my peer group feel like this is the only issue that will determine if you land right of center or left of center. And for one, it, it, there's debates to be had on it and against the liberal narrative of what is the right policy on these, you know, for instance, three hot button issues. Um, but there are dozens and dozens of issues out there that that conservatives care about that aren't even um, that aren't even kind of introduced into the conversation because these one or two issues kind of overwhelm the narrative. And so while we can have debates about the virtues of, you know, um, same-sex, uh, same-sex marriage, whether you're for or against it, um, pro-life, pro-choice, where on um, from the conception of life to the birth of a human being, like what is the right answer? There are, there are 
you know, debates to be had. I certainly have my own opinion, but I also want to uh, explain to a, a big chunk of the population that that is just blinded to these other issues, such as, um, you know, the, the virtues of a democratic republic capitalist society. Um, there are foreign policy issues that get overlooked. There are privacy issues that aren't addressed because, like, three specific issues just overwhelm the conversation. And I want to introduce all these other issues that will open the minds of at least my peer group to say, oh, you know, there are other things that, that politicians, that, um, that community leaders, should be talking about and debating about, not just these lightning rod issues that, that cause such division and polarization in the national conversation. Um, so I, 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 I find that interesting, but I'm, I'm hard on the right. I'm what would be called a Bible thumper. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a social conservative. And I think that there's a reason why, Republicans have in the past used the term bleeding heart liberal as an insult because it means that the person is governing their decision making process from their emotional center. And traditionally speaking, decisions that are made based upon how you feel are not the ones that yield the results that are beneficial for you in the long run. So how does being a bleeding heart conservative advance the ideals and goals of the Republican Party and the conservative movement? Well, the way that I explain each of these dozens and dozens of issues in my book is to explain that how you feel in the near term shouldn't dictate what is actually good or bad in the longer term. And I think that as conservatives, we are all thinking more about the longer term and two steps ahead rather than, for example, we believe that life begins at conception. Well, so the, the debate to be had in terms of the abortion debate is not, oh, conservatives are taking away the women's right to choose. No, it's we're giving rights to the human life that is in a woman's stomach. So, and, and as a woman, as an author, and, and I think that's great what you're doing, and I I also I wanted to contribute to that as a woman, conservative woman. I wanted to explain that, no, 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 I'm a woman, too, and I don't believe that this debate is about taking rights away from a woman. It is about giving rights to the human life that's in her body. And then at that point, then it gets the apolitical or slash liberal to say, oh, you know, I never thought of it in that context. Because the near-term satisfaction is just to say, well, it's a woman's right to choose what she wants to do with her body. This is not about getting a tattoo. You know, this is what you, that is something you do to your body. But this is about, oh, there's a human life. Okay, well, let's talk about where does it begin. Um, if, you, if you don't believe it begins at conception, then, um, then what, three months down the line? Then, you know, within the nine-month gestation period, then is it six months down the line? Then is it, oh, eight months? You know, then you get people thinking about it, the, get in the real complexities of the debate to be had. Um, I, and I understand, like, um, hard right would be, you know, absolutely no exceptions to the rule of, uh, in terms of that there should be abortion. And I respect that opinion 100%. Uh, my, my goal here is to get people who haven't seen the light on the right to at least not shut, it, not shut down the argument to use their brain as an independent thinker and not say, oh, I'm a woman, so therefore I'm pro-choice. No, there is 
a complex discussion to be had before you just shut down anything that's labeled conservative um, or Republican or right of center. And I use this sort of strategy um, on all the topics and as the ones that, that I've uh, mentioned already, but in all the topics that I use, you know, emotion in a sense, but logical emotion that in the long term, that is what should count. It's not just about giving a handout because it makes you feel good to be uh, helping a, a, a person down on his or her luck. No, but like work ethic, that is something that we should be giving to people who, who you know, need that to become self-sufficient because in the long term, that's going to help them. That's going to help everybody overall. I Does have to say, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I, I appreciate the explanation. And I, I want to kind of piggyback on what you said, because in the beginning, and, and I really, I, I'm hard on the right. And the reason that I can say I'm hard on the right so confidently is because the left has successfully moved a huge segment of America to the left. And so the further to the left, the entire normative political spectrum moves, the more right-leaning people appear to be, when in reality, the things that I believe 40 years ago would have been mainstream Democrats and Republicans believe those same things. But now you have the Democrats, really, you. you know what I mean? They're, they're outside the yeah. pale. And a lot of people who, if, if, if I took your tack and I explained it, look, this is how we feel. This is our knee jerk reaction, but this is the policy and this is where we can come down on it and kind of talk in that way. You're actually kind of in you're we're speaking the same language because I've been advocating for people to take a softer approach, not because we don't believe what we believe, but because a softer approach enables the other person to talk and to hear you. And then you can talk and hear them. And then you can find that because even though I'm hard on the right and I'm totally pro-life, if I could find a plurality of Democrats who are willing to vote for eliminating abortion to a certain degree. So eliminating a huge chunk of abortions, because the majority of the abortion in this country, for an example, to take an issue, uh, it, it's contraceptive based. And if they said, well, as long as we can do health of the mother, you know, life of the mother, uh, rape and incest, then we'll eliminate all of the other convenient type abortions. I would not say, no, I'm going to hold out for you to be willing to do it all. I'd say, yes, I'll take that because incrementalism mandates that I save, you know, out of the 958,000 abortions for 20, uh, 2016, that would eliminate all of them, but like 6%. So would you rather have 94% less abortions or have 0% less abortions and keep arguing over the semantics? Would I still want to eliminate that last 6%? Yes, I would. But I wouldn't sacrifice the 94% for that. And so that to some people means, well, you're not really pro-life. Well, that's not true. I am. I want all abortion eliminated. But in the interim, to get there, wouldn't it be great if we leapt from 958 to, you know, under under 100,000 abortions a year in this country? I mean, think about the magnitude of what we're saying. 958,000 abortions a year is three times, more than three times the population of the city of St. Louis that we abort on mm -hmm. a yearly basis. So, you know, I, but you can't even get there if we come to come to the conversation, you know, each person kind of hammering home their points. And it sounds to me like you're advocating for and writing about having a nuanced conversation that involves maybe some compromise, maybe a lot of disagreement, but definitely getting further along than we are now. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree with, 
what you're saying in terms of um, how you've had to become like classified as hard right, where where really you know decades ago it would have just been you know kind of a mainstream thought or or mainstream conversation, but because this country has become so much more polarized, um, it, it is harder to get that um, sort of the softer approach that I'm taking. Um, and I'm so grateful that there are people like you that are taking the more fist-pounding approach. Um, and when, you know, when I can have the attention of, you know, someone who doesn't agree with me, I will be more respectfully fist-pounding. Um, and I think that it, it takes different approaches. You know, different audiences respond to different kinds of things. And so, you know, with our – there are different uh, – chess pieces on the table. I'm so grateful for you doing what you, how you're doing it. And because you're in the public spotlight, you have to, right? I'm kind of uh, more covert in my approach, but I want to be able to get the conversation going, get the minds open to then listen to people like you and be like, you know what? I agree. Or, you know, I, I still do, don't agree, but I do, I'm not going to choose Stacey, of, oh, she's taking rights away from women and, you know, what, uh, you know, fill in whatever the, the liberal slanderous nar narrative is that they want to apply to any of our, um, the policy preferences we have. Um, and to your point about, you know, incrementalism and the importance of that sort of, I don't want to say strategy to, to belittle it, it's, just, it's a practical matter. You know, it makes me think back of on um, uh, during um, Frederick Douglass and, Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln days, where you know, fighting for suffrage, not just for people know it as women's suffrage, but also the right for black men to vote. Um, the black men's black men's vote came first and be, uh, came to, onto the table, proposed first. Um, women got really pissed at this. But I, the strategy at the time was, look, we're not going to be able to pass something with uh, asking for uh, black, to have, give the right to vote to black men and women, so we're going to have to do this incrementally. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I would have been a fan of that at the time. Like, I don't, I don't know. But, but looking back in history, you know, I can see how, like you're saying with, with the pro-life uh, pro movement, you would be Absolutely. willing to table the... Um, Health of the mother. I see, I see, I hear the music and we're up against it, but I want to say thanks, Allison Choi. Thank you so much for joining the program today. We'll be back with more right after this. I just thank God for the Holy Ghost. If you will let him, he really will teach you all things. Have you ever made an excuse to someone why you were unable to do something or why you couldn't attend a certain event instead of just being honest and telling them you just were not interested? I think many of us have. Well, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 in one translation says, dishonesty in business disgusts the eternal. It disgusts God, but fair dealing delights him. False witness utters lies. Be faithful and consistent. 
with being honest with others. Stop with the excuses and be truthful. There is freedom when our integrity and character reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. What seems little to us are big to Him. With our heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. I come to steal, kill, and to destroy. You belong to me. Your soul, your mind, and your body. You chose death over life. You are mine. Forever and ever and ever. is real. Matthew chapter 25 verse 46 says there will be those who will receive eternal punishment in hell, but the righteous will have eternal life in heaven with our Savior Jesus Christ. Which will you choose? Let's go deeper at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Donald Trump's America. One year ago today, President Trump, facing a growing nuclear threat from North Korea, warned the country while on vacation in New Jersey against any new provocations. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. The president then added that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has, in his words, been very threatening beyond a normal state. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. But in the past year, relations have improved dramatically between the U.S. and North Korea, with President Trump meeting Kim for an historic summit in Singapore in June, in which Kim pledged to work toward denuclearizing his country. At the White House, John Decker, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. In an op-ed titled, The Press Isn't the Enemy, It is the Protector, Joseph Holt writes, quote, We thank soldiers for their service because they devote themselves to protecting our freedoms, and we should. But we should also thank the media for the same reason, especially when the stakes have never been higher. Our next guest is a Marine veteran who has done both jobs, and he's here to set the record straight. Dave Brooks is deputy editor for the Daily Caller News Foundation, also served in the Marine Corps for six years from 2004 to 2010. David, a perfect voice for this. As I said, you have been uh, in, in both roles in your life. When you saw this op-ed and you read that comparison, what did you think? Well, let's, let's start with the obvious point. The vast majority of the journalists didn't sign up to protect our nation and values. And this, uh, this professor wasn't even talking about journalists who do put themselves in harm's way. He was talking about White House reporters who go to the press briefings and instead of asking questions, they pull out a soapbox and deliver sermons until Sarah Sanders shuts them down. And then they head to Twitter like it's their personal diaries and make the stories about themselves. And after that, they want to go to the Trump rallies. And when they get heckled by the president's supporters, they act like they're marching into the Battle of Fallujah. And to compare the two does a disservice to our service members and those men and women who signed up to protect the nation. Yeah, I welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right. And, and for, for, the, for the record, 
He's absolutely right. In fact, I'll go ahead and add something to that because I'm an Air Force veteran, but I'm a fourth generation military veteran. I'm not a combat veteran, but my dad was and my granddad was. My great granddad was not. So I'm married to a veteran. My husband is a veteran. And when I hear people make these spurious comparisons, because people who've never, some have never been out of the country, those who have were out of the country as tourists, it is one thing to go to the Middle East on a jaunt to Dubai and stay in one of the high-rise hotels and be a tourist. It's another thing to go to Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or any one of our operational theaters with a uniform on and a target on your back and your ID card and, and, and dog tags and, you know, go do your job overseas, which in some cases is killing the enemy. There is no excuse for journalists, I don't care how fantastic you are, Unless you've actually been embedded with active duty service members doing reporting that way, then by all means, receive your kudos. You deserve them. But if you're just a regular journalist comparing yourself to a military veteran, it's ridiculous. And I don't see any reason why any military veteran, any person who is the spouse of someone who's a veteran, any person who is a mom of someone who's overseas serving right now, someone who put their hand on the Bible and swore to uphold the Constitution of support and defend, not uphold, support and defend the Constitution of the United States and to obey all lawful orders given to them in the chain of command and to honor the president of the United States as the commander in chief of our military. Please sit down if you think that that person is doing the same type of job as a journalist. It's not in the same realm. Now, there are other people who do amazing, heroic work, and they deserve their kudos. And it's, it's deserved that if you're doing something like that, that people pay respect for what you're doing because you're doing extra. You're out there a little bit further. But if you're just doing journalism, and I say that as a member of the media, I've written for publications before. I understand how stressful it can be chasing down sources or having people hold you accountable for what you've written. They hate you. They're sending you death threats. I have a whole folder and a a private investigator who searches through these things for me when I write something that people don't like and they reach out and start talking about me and the kids. Yeah, the guns get cleaned. The ammo gets checked. The PI gets a copy of everything that's going on. I understand that, but that's still not in the realm of active duty service members who some never leave the United States, but most do. Most service members serve at least a tour of duty, possibly multiple tours of duty in one of our overseas operational theaters. That's ridiculous. I don't care how good it felt to write that down and put it, get it published in some you know, paper. It's not the same thing. And, and for those who don't understand that, it's okay. It's okay for you not to understand it. It's perfectly fine. So I want to open up the call lines as we get into, there's a little bit of breaking news that I want to, oh, well, we already have a caller. I want to cover this story really quickly before we get into the, the uh, final five for this hour. 866-963-2037 are the call lines. 866-963-2037. So they've got documents out showing that a man was arrested at a New Mexico compound who was training kids to, to shoot up schools. The guy's name is Siraj Wahaj. Guess what he used to do? He was born Jeffrey Kearse, and he was raised in Brooklyn, and his mom was a nurse, and his dad was a hospital dietitian, and his brother is a writer and an editor. He actually joined the Nation of Islam, changed his name to Jeffrey 12X, and then he started to believe and talk about his belief that white people are devils. He says, I preached it. I taught it. I believe it. 
And he's really had kind of a rough go. I mean, he used to be the vice president of the Islamic Society of North America. He was also the leader of the Muslim Alliance of North America. And now, according to breaking news, breaking news on KWCH.com, he's been training children in New Mexico on how to commit school shootings. I'll let you guys draw the inferences there. (laughs) I mean, I could say, but Elaine from Florida, thanks for calling into the show. Hi, how are you? I'm a first-time caller, but I've listened to you quite a while. Awesome. What's your comment? Listen, I I just want to get through what I few minutes that I have to talk to you. Um, if everybody could possibly listen to a sermon by Jesse Duplantis at the Southwest Believers Conference on Friday, August third, it is so relevant to everything that we're talking about today. And I do believe he preached it for Trump without bringing up his name. It was on what he called the status quo and how it is destroying everything we have because nobody wants to rock the boat. And when God sends his assigned people, chosen people in, because um, we, his people, refuse to allow ourselves not to be controlled and governed by um, idolaters and outsiders, that there's going to be a problem. And it happened with Samson. He sent him in there. He, he was God's chosen. He wasn't everybody's. But the Israelis rose up against him and sided with the Philistines to destroy him because he was causing problems for the Philistines, which was causing problems for the Israelis, they felt at that time. And it's like the handwriting's on the wall with all these elections and, the, and like you're talking about this gentleman that was doing these things. And God only knows what else is going on out there. But the church and the Christian peoples as a whole, we need to stand together and know that we stand firmly on the Word of God and only on the Word of God. There's no compromise. And I truly believe Trump was sent in here. I truly believe he is God's chosen man for this moment, as long as he meets our Lord's needs and wants for us. But if we keep turning our back on him, if we keep allowing those that are quote-unquote supposedly in charge and supposedly that we have put an office that we are paying to sit there and cut his throat and, and knock our, our knees out from underneath us. There's so much rhetoric going on, and I don't see us standing together as a whole, per se, and facing the consequences that we are going to be assaulted. Jesus told us they're going to come against us. But I see all these other people, Rosie O'Donnell and all them others out there, and where are we? Where are we? We're sitting yeah. at home. Well, and and I think the voter turnout last night was interesting, which is why I want to take a little bit more of an in-depth look across the country. I know here in Missouri, um, it was it was elevated turnout for the Democrats, but they always tend to turn out on special elections when they have a ballot issue and they had right to work to defeat last night, which they did so handily with propaganda and outside dollars, twenty five million dollars from outside the state. So I totally understand what you mean. If if anything. What you're saying is we got to get motivated and stop sitting back and allowing these kind of trains to kind of run like runaway trains without any control. We have control. All we have to do is get out and vote. Thanks for calling the show today. Um, and and I, I just have to say, I agree 100 percent. We should be praying and we should be voting. And that's that's all we can do, really. Of course, phone bank, you know, do do those types of things. But praying and voting, we have to be motivated and activated to want to get out there and make sure that these political movements aren't successful. And 
you know, I, the, the saddest part about, I think, what I see happening on the left is that they have to find an issue to, to enrage their voters about. And so the people are enraged and they're going out. But it's spilling over into regular society where people are screaming at each other and yelling. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of real animus that's going on. And that's not OK. That, that's not what we want for our regular everyday interactions. Praying and voting doesn't involve screaming and yelling at anyone. And I, I just I know how it was when I was first on Facebook. I thought I could change people's minds on Facebook. Well, Facebook is a place for social media gathering and sharing, but most people remain in their own silos reading information that confirms and validates what they know. Sometimes someone will read something that you've posted and they disagree with you politically and they'll read it and they'll have a bit of an epiphany, but more, more often than not, that's not the case. And so what I see happening a lot is, you know, people will get into an echo chamber and start, you know, talking about a subject or a person and then that will spill over into them approaching that person online and you know trying to bludgeon them into believing or or not believing or or changing their mind about something and that's just not going to to happen not not because people can't change their minds but you're not going to change their mind by attacking them on Facebook so a real life person to person interaction almost anything is possible people can really have a meeting of the minds and click and come to an understanding it's much harder to do from hundreds of miles away on a Facebook page or a live stream or something like that. Um, let's talk to CJ from Wisconsin. Thank you for calling into the show. Hi, Stacy, Longtime listener. Um, I was kind of, I, I didn't hear your complete conversation with your last guest who was speaking of um, um, bleeding heart conservatism. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I was wondering if you remembered the uh, George W. Bush's uh uh, theory of compassionate conservatism and how it seemed like uh, that was going to work with faith, faith-based organizations. It, um, you know, I believe that um, charity comes from God and uh, it's also more efficient. And uh, when the, uh, when the, the twin towers fell, that kind of, that, that, that concept kind of fell by the wayside. But I was wondering if you can kind of make a parallel between that and what your last guest was speaking of. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you for calling CJ. And thank you for listening to the show. I think so. First of all, I I think she was having trouble articulating what she wanted to share. And from what I'm understanding of what she said during the interview, and what I've read about the book, is that she's saying that there's a there's a place for conversation. And when we are hard on the right, like I the, the way that I term myself or hard on the left, it leaves no room for people to talk. And that millennials like herself, younger, younger Americans want to find a way to have movement, not to be gridlocked and to, to have conversations with each other. So she's a conservative. She's a she's a Republican. And she explains her beliefs in the book. And it's pretty boilerplate. But she's also talking about a means by which people can communicate and get somewhere. Now, I think CJ makes a fantastic point, which is, you know, bleeding heart and compassionate conservatism. If if you've been around long enough or read anything about George W. Bush's attempts at that, those were for me some of his low points because I thought he was a great president, but he was also very much like, you know, pro illegal immigration, pro amnesty, very wishy-washy on, on that as an issue. And his, presidency played a role, a negative impact, which we're still feeling today. Look at the southern border. Look at the lawlessness there. Look at the inability of legislators to make any decisions that could seal our border and protect Americans. 
this is a problem that is a part of the George Bush presidential legacy. Please don't email me and say he was perfect and what's wrong with me. We all know he was a human being and he wasn't perfect. And so, you know, there's plenty wrong with me. I'm a, I'm a person, but that's not one of my issues. And so I think I think she's trying to take the term back and say, instead of the liberals always being the ones who are seen as compassionate, conservatives are compassionate too, and here's how. And I'm, I haven't had a chance to complete the book, but I, I'm hoping that um, – that, that is how she articulated. It sounded like that was what she was trying to do. Um, earlier in the first segment, I said, we interview people who are authors because wealthy people read books. Did you really take that to mean that no one else reads books but wealthy people? No. I was making an analogy about prioritizing some activities over others in an effort to emulate the behavior of people who are successful. Um, I don't think that's that nuanced at least for people who are willing to hear me out and understand what's going on here. Um, so we have just another minute or so. We have a couple minutes left. And I, I'm really, I'm surprised that this guy was able to operate for this long. Uh, this Siraj Wahaj. I mean, I can't believe that's actually the name he adopted. His name was Jeffrey Kearse. And he changed his name to Siraj Wahaj. Yeah, I said it. I hope that doesn't violate any free speech or, or uh, safe speech laws by me saying that that sounds ridiculous, but it is. It's totally ridiculous. Um, he, he actually was training these kids. And so, oh, his middle name is IBN, by the way. He was training children with assault rifles at a compound near the Colorado border where 11 hungry children were found in filthy conditions. They say they want him held without bail. They didn't bring up the school shooting accusation in court on Wednesday during the initial appearance because they're prosecuting him for abusing the kids. The remains of a boy were also found on the compound, but they've not yet been able to identify the remains of that young boy. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is what's going on in the country. Let's keep praying about it, and we'll be back with more in Hour 2 right after these messages. <laughs> 